This program is brought to you by Abiding Above Ministries. We're in part two of a message called Abiding Above Rejection. Last week was Abiding Above Rejection part one, and we talked about what rejection is. The fact that rejection is an absence of meaningful love. So you as an individual, if you've been rejected, what has happened is this. You have been in a, a family, maybe a relationship where there was an absence of meaningful love. Not that you were not loved, but it, you were not loved in a meaningful, expressive way. And then once a person has been rejected, maybe you had a dad that was a, a strong, silent type and, and your dad just somehow couldn't express himself and, uh, your mom was uh, wanting to make you uh, something that she always dreamed that she would be, and you felt uh, like you never quite measured up to your mother's expectation, or something like that happened in your life. Well, that's rejection is what that is. And so once you've been rejected, then you enter into what's called self-rejection. We talked about that last week, and that is you now have the impaired ability to accept yourself feeling unworthy to be accepted, and unable to be accepted. And what are results of rejection? A person can't love others and can't be loved. And they began to believe in the rejection. And they began to set in their minds the opinions of others are more important than what they think about themselves or even what God's Word has to say. And so therefore, if someone rejects you, you begin to believe their opinion of you, whether it's right or wrong. And so you enter into what's called self-rejection, and the results are devastating. What happens is this. Once you've been rejected, and you don't know what to do with what you feel, more than likely you will begin to reject other people back the same way that they rejected you. Now this can go on year after year after year. And you may not even realize that you do this, but it's there. Rejection becomes the way a person communicates. A person who's gone through rejection, and then they're even rejecting themselves. They can't love. They can't be loved. There's an impaired ability to accept yourself. You feel unworthy to be accepted and unable to be accepted. A person who goes through this begins to communicate in a way of rejection. They don't even know it. It's the way they are. They do it with their body language. They do it with the words that they use. They're in what's called a rejection syndrome. And so, rejections become a way to manipulate other people, control other people, and to dominate other people. Now, this is the question. Why in the world would someone who has suffered from rejection by another person begin to reject themselves, and why would a person who's been rejected, why would they begin to reject other people? This is why. They're trying to protect themselves from ever being rejected again. That's why they begin to reject others. It's not so much to get back and to get even. It's the way they begin to protect themselves. And so they begin to manipulate. Why? so that they won't get themselves into a situation again whereby they'll be rejected. And so they begin to control other people. 
They have to control you to keep themselves from getting in a situation whereby they may be rejected. And so they manipulate you, they control you, and basically they dominate you. You say, well, boy, they're mean people, aren't they? Not really. The problem is this. They haven't handled the initial rejection the right way. And so they have become a person who rejects others the same way that they've been rejected. This is a common thread that you see all through humanity. And last week, for those of you who were not here last week, we looked all the way back to the Garden of Eden where we could see where all this started. It started with the first family. And so, people who have been rejected become rejectors of others. And oftentimes, they don't even know it. They live in a rejection syndrome. You see, the Christian is supposed to live and move and have his being in Christ Jesus. You say, what does that mean? That means a Christian who's mature, who has been taught the Word of God, who's applied principles that he's learned over the years, who's learned what it means to walk in the Spirit. That doesn't mean he's always perfect at it or she's always perfect at it, but their heart's desire is to walk in the Spirit. That person lives and moves, and they have their being in Christ Jesus. They see things through the eyes of God. They're in an an atmosphere of Christ. They're in an atmosphere of love. They live and move and have their being in Christ. But a person who is a Christian, who's undergone rejection and didn't respond the right way to it, they live and move and have their being in a rejection syndrome. Their whole atmosphere is one of, I'm about to be rejected. Am I going to be rejected? Was that a rejective statement? They live in this atmosphere of rejection. And so therefore, sometimes you wonder, are they really children of God? Because you don't really see the fruit of the Holy Spirit in their life, and it can all be traced back to rejection. My friend, rejection is like an inner wound. If it's not dealt with quickly, it becomes festered by resentment and turns into hatred and anger. The key to rejection for the child of God is knowing this. I realize I'm rejected. I have no right to reject back. This is all temporary, but I'm eternally accepted in Christ Jesus. That is the answer to rejection. You see, many people never see, listen carefully here, Many people never see the connection of rejection in their childhood for their present emotional state and social maladjustment. They don't see it. But what it is, is rejection. Not accepting someone's sin of rejecting you, but continuing to accept them as a person. So if you have someone in your family, maybe it's a mom or dad because that's where it all starts. And they just reject you. They do it in ways that are very obvious. And they do it in ways that are very subtle. Have you ever been with someone that it was obvious that their mom or their dad made them so uptight? It was almost like you wanted to take a deep breath for them. Because you thought, oh, my word, you know, I feel nervous because they're so nervous to be around dad or mom. 
It's the only way to explain it. It's like putting a person in a situation where they have to uh, walk on eggshells. They just feel like, I've just got to tiptoe around the house or I'm going to make this person uh, upset. You know, there are children that have lived in this kind of environment since they were created in their mother's womb. You know, a child inside the mother can pick up rejection. It's just something that can happen to a child even inside of the mom. So what's the bottom line answer to rejection? We've all experienced it from other people. How does a Christian handle rejection from other people? It could be your wife. It could be uh, your husband. It could be one of your teenagers. And they're just rejecting you. And it's become obvious to you that they don't know what they're doing. They live and move and have their being in this rejection syndrome. And they don't even see the subtleties of rejection in body language, choice of words, relationships that you have with other people that can be sabotaged, being controlled, manipulated, dominated so that they feel safe. They don't really, a lot of times, know that they're doing this. It's rejection. You say, what's the answer to all this? My friend, the answer is the cross of Jesus Christ. The substitutionary death of Jesus provides forgiveness of sin. Jesus is the great physician. His atoning blood has made provision for healing us in our spirits and in our soul. When you became a child of God, the Spirit of God set up residence within your human spirit. And as you choose to live a surrendered, yielding life, the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity who lives in you, begins to affect the soul where you feel and experience the rejection. The Holy Spirit begins to renew your mind with His Word. He begins to heal your damaged emotions in your soul. And He begins to control you as you yield your will uh, to Him. I was talking to uh, a pastor yesterday. I was at a pastor's conference. And um, we had been uh, sitting together, and uh, he had been listening to a whole lot of truth. And he said, you know, to be honest with you, everything that all the speakers are saying, he says, I already know all this stuff. I said, yeah, me too. He said, but why am I not experiencing what the speakers are saying in my life? I said, I can tell you, I know the answer to that. I said, tell me about your dad. He said, oh, you don't want to hear about my dad. I said, well, tell me about him. He said, he was an angry man that I never could get close to. I said, that's why you're not experiencing all the truth that you've been hearing all these years from the Word of God. He said, explain. I said this. I said, it's not that you don't know these things and you've studied and you've learned and you've taken notes and you've done a great job, graduated with your master's and all these things. It's not that you don't have the truth. Your problem is you can't appropriate the truth that you have. He said, what do you mean? I said, your damaged emotions from your past with your dad stops you from appropriating and enjoying all the truth that you know. He said, wow. He said, I've never seen that connection before. I said, well, I just happen to be doing a series on this type thing now, so it's fresh on my mind. Listen to me carefully. You may wonder, how could I be in church all these years, go through all these Sunday school quarterlies, 
go through all this teaching, and somehow I'm not enjoying the Christian life. It's like it doesn't work for me. I must know something I don't know. It's nothing to do with your intelligence. It's everything to do with your human emotions. You've been through rejection that's caused problems for you emotionally, and now you can't appropriate because you can't trust. You can't walk in faith in all that you know. You see, as we walk in the awareness that Jesus has shed blood, atoned for the sins of the whole world, we know that provision not only has been made for our sins, but also for those who have sinned against us by rejecting us. The truth is this, my friend, we've all rejected people. Some just reject more than others. But Jesus Christ, when He died on the cross, He shed His blood for all sin. Therefore, we have no right to hold it against them. We must forgive those who reject us. It's not something to pray about. It's not something to think about. It's when you're rejected, you have to remember the cross that Jesus shed His blood for that rejection. And then, seeing yourself accepted in Christ. Because when you know that not only did Christ die for me, and not only did He die as me on the cross, not only did His shed blood cover my sin, His shed blood covered the sin of others and paid the price that was owed. So therefore, I have no right to say, for that, I'll never forgive you. Emotionally, that may be exactly what you want to do. But spiritually and scripturally, you cannot do it. You have to forgive them. You say, but what if they keep on rejecting me? You keep on forgiving them. What did Peter say to Jesus? He said, how often should I forgive my brother? Seven times as if he was really pious. And what did Jesus say? Seventy times seven. Now, that doesn't mean 490 times. It means you keep on forgiving them. You say, well, that's not fair. Oh, it's not, huh? Do you like Jesus to keep forgiving you? What if he said, Zoop, that's it, 490? You'd be a sunk duck. Then we should go likewise and keep forgiving others who reject us. Now, I'm not saying that you condone what they're doing to you. I'm not saying that at all. But I am saying this, you have to forgive them and you have to love them sacrificially. So, when you see that you're accepted in Christ, that cancels out that uh, human rejection that we uh, experience. And I want you to think about this. Jesus himself was wounded for our transgressions. You see that in Isaiah 53, 5. Not only that, the Bible says that Jesus was despised and rejected of men. You see that in Isaiah 53, 3. Jesus was wounded for yours and mine, our transgressions, and those who reject us. He was despised and rejected of men. How did Jesus react when he was wounded and rejected by others? How did he react? We see it clearly in Luke 23, 34. When he was dying on the cross, Jesus prayed to God the Father. Father, what? Forgive them for what? They do not know what they do. People in your life, husband, wife, teenagers, employer, employees, who reject you. I can tell you, they do not know what they're doing to you. And probably some of you here are rejecting other people. 
And until you heard this message, you don't realize what you're doing to other people, even with your body language, even with your silence. That's a form of covert rejection. So we are to respond to rejection the same way Jesus responded. If we choose not to, listen, we will become rejectors of other people. We will continue the thread of rejection in our own children. Jesus, my friend, is qualified to help us in our feelings of rejection and in our rejection of other people. Hebrews 4.15 says about Jesus, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. You see, as Jesus was teaching in the synagogue one day, he reminded the people of what was said about him by the prophet Isaiah. I want you to listen to this. Luke chapter 4, verse 18. Jesus speaking what Isaiah had said about him. Jesus said, standing there in the synagogue, he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Listen to this. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. It says here, to heal the brokenhearted. The result of inner wounding when people reject you, those who have been bruised, those who have been rejected are the brokenhearted. And Jesus says, He sent me to heal the brokenhearted. That same Jesus lives in you. When you live surrendered and yielded to Him by the Holy Spirit, not only does He heal your broken heart, but you become an instrument in the hand of God to help others who've brokenhearted because they continually be rejected verbally, with body language, with their lives, their calendars, and finances being manipulated, controlled, and dominated by others who are in rejection. And so, if you're taking notes, number one. That was an introduction. Number one, everyone God created requires love. Love is to us what sunshine and rain is to a growing flower. God made you to need love. God made you in such a way, as I said last week, that only He can genuinely satisfy you 100% in this whole matter of love. One of the fruit of the Spirit is love. And if you are saved and the Holy Spirit lives in you, you have 100% of the love of God within you because God lives in you in the presence of the Holy Spirit. You say, well, I don't feel that love. Your emotions are blocking you from experiencing 100% the love that God has for you. It's not that He's not there. And And it's not that His fruit is not within you because He is there. Why am I not experiencing God loving me? It's your emotions in your soul. That's where it is. What's blocking it? So everyone God created 
requires love. So when someone says, well, I'm just not loved. You may not be loved by human beings, my friend, but I want to tell you, whoever you are, you're loved by God. And God doesn't do anything part way. He does everything 100%. People will not. Your spouse is not going to completely love you 100%, 24-7. It's not going to happen. You're not going to love her. He's not going to love you. 100%. It's just not going to happen. But God loves you 100%, 24-7. Not only that, that speaks of time. He loves you with an eternal love, my friend, that will never go away. But you say, well, I want to experience that. There's only one way you're going to experience that, is living a yielded life to the Spirit of God who's within you, and you'll experience a continual love of God, and this is what will happen. This is what will happen if you do this. If you choose to let God love you the only way He can, you will need others less. You say, that's arrogance. No, it's not arrogance. It's called Christian maturity. You will need others less. That doesn't mean you reject them. I don't need you. I've got God. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is this. You're not needy. You're not begging other people to love you up to your expectations of 100% because it does not matter because I've got God. Do you realize how many relationships would be healed if both partners knew that I am 100% loved and accepted by God no matter what anybody else does? I've got that, and that's for eternity. Do you realize what would happen in families if everyone knew that? But instead, we live in a a generation that rejection permeates the home. You say, I just don't know about that. Well, then look at the divorce rate. Why is the divorce rate so high? And so, a person who is rejected, whether it is real rejection or only imaginary rejection, they can't love or receive your love. And you will find that many abnormalities develop in their personality. You don't understand them, and they don't understand themselves. But the word for this, I'm telling you, the word for this is rejection. And so, everyone God created uh, requires uh, love. Second thing is this. Everyone God created, He loves. And really, I've already hit on it, but I'm going to give you some verses here. Everyone God created, He loves. 1 John chapter 4, verse 16. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Notice the word abide. That's resting, yielding. My friend, God's kingdom is a kingdom of love. The Bible teaches us that God first loved us. Do you know most people, this is the way they are. I'm waiting on you to love me. You love me, I'll love you back. I don't think you're loving me. Well, I am loving you. Yeah, but you're only about 77% here. I'm expecting 100%. Then I'll love you back. 53%. Do you realize that's just the way human beings are? The wise thing to do is to know God loves me eternally and 100%. 
And I choose to yield to him and love other people the same way. Amen? I mean, that's the only choice you can make. Uh, Not to think this way is sin. 1 John 4, 19, we love him because he first loved us. And I believe the greatest expression of this love is seen in the most favored of all Bible verses, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, talking about you, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Paul said in Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us, talking about you, in that while we, talking about you, were still sinners. Christ died for you. Do you realize that? The Ephesians 2 says that you and I were dead in our trespasses and sins. And then what did he do? He made us alive in Christ Jesus. Do you realize God loved you when you were not even aware that he existed? And he moved toward you when you did not even want him. But people do not do that. People will wait for you to be the initiator. God would have you and me to initiate His love as we yield to Him uh, in the presence of the Holy Spirit. You may be sitting here thinking, I just don't have that kind of love for people. Well, then what you're saying is you've never been born again. Because if you say, well, I am a Christian, well, then what you're saying is, I do have this love in me because God lives in me. And and therefore, I can love those who are unlovable. Those who, by their very uh, mannerisms and the way they live and the way they think, so turned upside down, my friend, there is a way to love them in spite of them. And how is that? With God's own love living in you. Because you can't in and of yourself do that. It has to be the work of God uh, in your life. Third thing is this. Everyone God created not only requires love, everyone God created, He loves. Third thing is everyone God created, listen, Satan hates. Satan hates. Satan hates love. He is opposed to God. And what is uh, 1 John 4? God is love. And Satan opposes God. He hates God. He hates love. Satan wants to destroy love. Why? Because Satan cannot work in an environment of love. He cannot do it. Satan has to destroy families. Satan incites and initiates rejection. Because rejection, my friend, causes love that is there not to be understood, not to be received. And that's why he uses rejection in this most powerful way. Because he, Satan, cannot work in an environment of love. And if he wants to destroy your family, the first thing he's going to go after is love. John chapter 8, verses 42 through 44. Jesus said to the scribes and Pharisees, talking to the scribes and Pharisees, of course, they were lost. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God, nor have I come of myself. But he sent me. 
Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil. And the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning. And does not stand in the truth. Because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. For he is a liar and the father of it. You see, love prevents Satan from creating an environment which he can control. See, if there's a loving environment, you say, whether it's in the family or whether it's in the church, you say, there's just this environment of love. I just love it there. Satan can't stand it. Satan hates that because Satan cannot operate in this kind of environment. That is why we're instructed in God's word in Ephesians 5.25, the husbands love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. And then uh, Ephesians 6.4, and you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. In John chapter 13, verse 34, Jesus said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, as I loved you. How did he love us? He loved us with a sacrificial love. He went all the way to the cross and died for us. He says, That you love others, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. You see, Satan builds his kingdom upon rejection, and he uses fear and control to get what he wants. And so, you think about rejection in your family. Who's rejecting who? Is mom rejecting dad? Is dad rejecting mom? Are they both rejecting one another? Is child rejecting mom and dad? Is mom and dad rejecting child? Where did all that originate from? Why do we do this to one another? Whatever happened to loving one another, no matter what? Now, you think about the society in which we live. Look what's going on in our society. We now have young people who seek acceptance from their peers. This is the reason they seek acceptance from their peers. It's because they feel rejection from mom and dad. Why do they feel rejection from mom and dad? Because their mom and dad rejected them. Well, why did their mom and dad rejected them? Because their mom and dad rejected them. My friend, this is something that's been handed down from generation to generation to generation. This whole issue of rejection. And so therefore, we live in a society now. They feel rejected by what we call traditional church. And so what do they do? They go out. And they start another church. And it's the exact opposite of a church that they feel rejects them. And so, rebellion is not only rampant in the home, it's rampant in the church, it's rampant in the political arena. Everywhere you look, there's rebellion. And a lot of it has to do with people feeling rejected, and they're rejecting back at those that they either have been rejected by or they suspect rejects them. Now, why would a young man wear his pants all the way down here? It makes no sense. I mean, he walks like this. I mean, it makes you just want to go pull his britches up. Why would he do that? 
is because he feels rejected by those who wear their pants up here. So he says, I'm going to be opposite of you. So you have some dad who dresses neatly and nicely and keeps himself manicured in just the normal way a person should live, but he is rejective of his son. So his son asks him, he says, look, dad, um, I want you to buy me a car. And his dad says, I'm not going to buy you a car until you cut your hair because your hair is too long. You look like a girl. Well, that boy, the reason he's got long hair to begin with is because he feels rejected by his dad. And now his dad has actually said something about the hair and controlled him by saying, I'm not buying you a car until you cut your hair. Then the boy says, well, Jesus had long hair, dad. And his dad said, yeah, and he walked everywhere he went too. But rejection breeds rejection. And that's what goes on in the home back and forth. And so what does that young boy do? He just throws up his hands. And he just starts walking. You know, his pants are all the way down here. He walks away from his dad like this. And his dad feels rejected. My son, who wants me to buy a car, is walking off from me now. And then look how he walks. You know, he doesn't represent me as a dad. So the dad feels rejected. The son feels rejected. It's an absolute mess. It's a rejection syndrome. And most families nowadays, they live in this. What is the opposite of this? A family who knows I'm in Christ, Christ is in me. A family who practices encouraging one another, lifting one another up, loving one another, being positive in speech. But now we live in a nation that promotes being sarcastic, promotes being rebellious. And so, moms and dads feel rejected by their children. Children feel rejected by moms and dads. And because of technology, you walk away and you start texting. You're not going to believe what he said. You're not going to believe what she did. Or you get on the internet and you email. Or you, nowadays, you just FaceTime. Back when I was coming along, when you got mad at mom and dad, you just walked outside and you leaned up against a tree. And the only thing you could hear was God saying, don't be like that. But now, they just put music on, listen to it, drown it out. I'm just not going to think about it. Or I'm going to communicate with my real family, my peers. And all of you adults know, the older you get, you realize how immature you were in your younger days. And they're immature. There's a lot they need to learn. And so when they seek counsel from a peer, more than likely, it's not good counsel they haven't lived life long enough to have some real good answers. And so now this is the society in which we live in. Back when I was a kid, you went to church at one church. I can't remember in my hometown what the inside of any other churches looked like because I never went in there. I went to my church. It's the way it was back in those days. It's different than that now. Kids go to multiple churches. I mean, they make the rounds to different churches. And I understand that to a degree, but it's different now than what it used to be back in, my, I say the old days, back in my days. I don't think I'm that old, really. But things are different. And a lot of this, you can see, can be rooted in what we're talking about today of rejection. It all started, as we looked at last week, it all started in the Garden of Gethsemane. And the answer then is the answer now. 
Human beings will reject me. But I do not need to live my life depending on humans to love me to the degree that I need to be loved, like sunshine and rain. Only God can do that anyway. If a human being loves me, that's just a little extra that I get. But God loves me enough, and He's made me in such a way that He can satisfy me completely if I live a yielded life to Him. That's the answer. Now, if someone rejects you, you feel the pain of, they don't like me, they, they hurt me. Well, at that moment, that feeling that you have should remind a mature Christian, but yes, I'm accepted in Christ Jesus. I'm accepted in Him. And then the Holy Spirit who lives in me reminds me, but I love you 100%. And so therefore, you cease stopping to be controlled by the opinion of others, and you're controlled by the Holy Spirit. If you get this upside down and don't understand this message, I'm telling you, people will control you, manipulate you, dominate you, all over you being a subjective person, which is a person who lives based on what he or she feels at any given moment. The eternal truth is this. I'm in Christ. Christ is in me. God and what God provides for me is all that I need. Amen? That's not arrogance. That's not pride. That is the truth of the Word of God. And it'll help you love other people who are unlovable And it'll remind you that you must forgive them, even though they reject you. That doesn't mean you're condoning their rejection. That means you're seeing it far above what they can see it. It's nailed to the cross of Jesus Christ, covered by His shed blood, that atoning work that He's done. And I have but one thing to do, is to forgive, keep loving, not condoning it, but to forgive, to keep loving, knowing that I'm in Christ. In Christ is in me. Amen. You've been listening to Abiding Above Ministries with Chris Hodges. If you would like Chris to speak at your church or event, please go to our website, abidingabove.org. God bless you and make you a blessing.